Welcome back to the program. I'm going to begin by reading Psalm 95. It's called the Invitatory Psalm for the Liturgy of the Hours. It's a call to praise God. There's a reason why I'm doing this. Normally I just start with a prayer, but I'm going to begin by reading this psalm. I'm going to, it's going to be a point of reference in the course of the program. And so let's begin. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come, let us sing to the Lord and shout with joy to the rock who saves us. Let us approach him with praise and thanksgiving and sing joyful songs to the Lord. The Lord is God, the mighty God, the great King over all the gods. He holds in his hands the depths of the earth and the highest mountains as well. He made the sea, it belongs to him, the dry land too, for it was formed by his hands. Come then, let us bow down and worship, bending the knee before the Lord our Maker. For he is our God, and we are his people, the flock he shepherds. Today, listen to the voice of the Lord. Do not grow stubborn as your fathers did in the wilderness when at Meribah and Massa. They challenged me and provoked me, although they had seen all of my works. Forty years I endured that generation. I said they are a people whose hearts go astray, and they do not know my ways. So I swore in my anger, they shall not enter into my rest. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for the gift of being alive. You are our creator, God, and we worship you. We thank you and praise you for who you are and for all that you've done for us. We especially praise and worship you for the work of redemption that your son came among us to accomplish and did so through his death and resurrection and his ascension into heaven. And we thank you, Father, for the gift of the Spirit you have lavished upon us, pouring your Spirit into our hearts to guide us along a path of sanctification and to lead us home to our true and heavenly homeland. Lord, give us a deeper awareness of you and of these fundamental truths as we live our lives. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So I begin with the Psalm 95. I mentioned in um, programs like last week uh, that I've been using the Liturgy of the Hours a little bit differently than I had customarily in the last several decades by focusing more on the Office of Readings and using the Invitatory Psalm um, as my opening um the, the first prayer of the Liturgy of the Hours. And Psalm 95, it's interesting because, you know, I started praying this, what, 30, since 1984, right? I have been encountering Psalm 95. And wouldn't you think that I would have somewhat exhausted, like, any sense of, oh, there's something new or fresh here. There's something alive here. It's, you know, I, I could say it without seeing it, but... Truth be told, literally this weekend when I was praying it, I lost my breath because I saw something that I had never seen before. I realized something that I hadn't known before. I became aware of something that I hadn't realized before, even though, again, <laughs> I've been praying this for 35 years. It's the difference between a colon and a period. Well, the difference I knew, but I didn't notice that in Psalm 95, it says, Today, listen to the voice of the Lord, colon. For 35 years, I've been praying this, Today, listen to the voice of the Lord, P. 
period. And all of a sudden, it was like, wait a minute. That explains why I, I had occasionally wondered there was a, a, like a difference in the, um, the, the person that was like um, speaking. Like there's a, an, a, an, a direct address today. Oh, you who are reading this. Oh, you people of Israel. Oh, you members of the church today. You listen to the voice of the Lord. Um, but then I took that as a pe- then period. Okay, here's a new sentence now. Do not grow stubborn as your fathers did in the wilderness. Right? Like that's the natural flow. The natural flow of today listen to the voice of the Lord. Don't grow stubborn like your fathers did. But it becomes personal at that point. When at Meribah and Massa, they challenged me and provoked me, although they had seen all of my works. But up to that point, God isn't the one talking to us. It's a call to prayer. It's an invitation to prayer. It's an invitation that says at the beginning, come, let us sing to the Lord, right? So all of this is directed to God. Then all of a sudden, you're hearing words from God. Well, it all makes sense if that's not a period, but if it's a full colon, when it says, today, listen to the voice of the Lord, full colon. Okay, now, everyone, here's what the Lord is saying. I'm going to start quoting what the Lord is saying to you right now. And then from there, it follows. The Lord is saying to you, to us, I'm in this too. Don't go stubborn as your fathers did in the wilderness when at Maribah and Massa. They challenged me and provoked me, although they had seen all of my works. Um, and it's like, oh, wow. So that for me, it was it was powerful. It was like, it was changing because I had a new awareness. Well, today in Sound Insight, I'm going to dig into three truths. And I'm... I'm not expecting that there's going to be just simply an, oh, wow, like whole new awareness like I got by reading Psalm 95 and and noticing, for the first time, noticing full colon rather than period and how all of a sudden that opened up a new vista of fresh insight, a whole, it was a living word for me. But even though that maybe won't happen for you regarding a particular scripture. I'm going to be referencing a couple of scriptures and using some stories to bring out into the open three insights, three insights connected to our life of faith. And understanding these insights, there might be a new light that comes on. And so let me dive into them. So the the three I'm going to talk about, um, come two come from the Sermon on the Mount, and one comes from Psalm 95. Um, and so I'll, I'll mention the Psalm 95 one last because I'm going to use that one for as my first point of reflection. But the other two that I will get to are from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, specifically from Matthew 6, um, which um, in which you'll find you cannot serve both God and mammon. You can't serve God and money or God and wealth. Um, and so you'll, you know, Love one and hate the other. You'll despise one, etc. Um, and so I'm going to reflect on that. And then I'm going to reflect on seek first the kingdom of God and his way of righteousness and everything else will be added to you. Now, that's Matthew 6, Again, these are scriptures you've heard before, but my goal is to have kind of a Psalm 95 epiphany. And in, in sharing that with you, my hope is to grow in awareness, grow in 
that really fundamental and important concept that St. John Paul II talked about so much. And not just him, Pope Benedict as well. It's really a fruit of uh, their own way of philosophizing and theologizing, in particular John Paul II, who was a great student and um, and uh, a writer, author, who understood how to reflect phenomenologically. And so that, that involves or incorporates this concept of consciousness. In other words, truth doesn't just, it's not just a thing. It's not just a fixed idea or a concept that lives in our minds, but there are different facets or profiles or aspects of truth, of a fact, of a reality that we can gain insight to based on our perspective, based on how we stand, based on how that idea lives in us, lives in us as we live in certain circumstances and situations. This is something that I have been focused on more recently because of my reflecting again on that book, Who is Man? by Abraham Heschel. You heard me mention that last week as well. So I want to come to the first truth. The first truth is connected to Psalm 95. And it gets at this reality that God is God. And and, and I'm like, okay, wait a minute, Tom. This is no surprise there. No surprise, God is God. But I want to talk about it in a John Paul II way. God is God, but is God God in our awareness? Does God live in our way of seeing the world around us in a way that the idea of God ought to be living? And and this maybe that might sound a little bit philosophical, a little bit like, okay, Tom, I'm having a harder time grasping this. So I'm going to share it with you in the form of a story, stories, and insights from my own life, but also from um, some other great um, thinkers, holy men and women uh, in our tradition. Okay? So let me start with the first one, and this is when I experienced my conversion as an 18 and a half year old. Now, not not a conversion into the Catholic faith, but it was an awakening, an adult awakening of my own faith in God. Growing up in a, again, a conservative, traditional Catholic home, um, we certainly understood the concept of fulfilling our duty, seek to follow God's will, hate sin, fear hell, and strive to serve God and do what's right. Very clear. And don't go to mass. You might as well not come home. <laughs> that was the home I grew up in. It was very clear around that sense of right and wrong. But when I had this awakening with a light of faith, all of a sudden came alive for me, where this sense, the sense and sensitivity of God, that broke through in my life in, in a radical and new way when I was about 18 and a half. You've heard me share the story when I was praying in front of the Blessed Sacrament. It was like a light came on. And you know what? That's actually correct theologically, the light of faith. Faith brings light. We think of faith as blind. No, faith brings light. Faith brings light. And one of the first bits of light, one of the first illuminations that happens to someone who is awakened in their faith is this shift in consciousness, this shift in awareness, where all of a sudden I 
came to realize that I believed in God, but very much as a concept. Like, I accepted that there's a God. I didn't think about it a lot, that looking around the world, that this world was a created world. It was creation. No, I was pretty much immersed in my day-to-day life. And so God, as an idea, God, as a belief that lived in my mind and was part of my life, shaped, well, shaped how I lived. So there was really a, um, a strong emphasis on the moral component, right? Do good, avoid evil, right? Follow the commandments. Um, be a good person, be a kind person. And, and so that was the first layer. The second would have been that God also lived in my mind as a concept that, oh yeah, I believe that God created the world. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that Jesus established the Catholic Church. I believe that the Catholic Church teaches the truth of God. I might not know all the details, but I, I believe those things, that we're right. It would probably be a simplistic 18-year-old way of saying it. And that, in the end, not really thinking about it a lot, not even really thinking about it a lot, not letting these truths permeate my consciousness that what was really at stake in my life was heaven and hell. That didn't really impinge upon my day-to-day activities, except when I would come up against like a moral decision, like a crossroads where, what are you going to do? Or if I faced a temptation and fighting against that temptation, right? Um, The idea of prayer, yeah, God I said my prayers, and and in the background, in the background of my mind and in my heart, there was a sense that I was saying these prayers and that there was a God. Okay, that's fundamentally different than what happened and what grew in me. Now think of this as a dimmer switch with the light getting turned brighter and brighter, right? Okay, think of it. The switch goes on but then it's going to get brighter and brighter. The awareness, the enlightenment is growing. And all of a sudden now, there's a fundamentally different way of understanding who I am and what this world is all about. And if I have to summarize it, because I'm coming up against a break, if I had to try to summarize it, the shift that is occurring, the shift that occurred is that God went from an idea that was sort of in orbit around the edges of my life and was impacting certain dimensions of my life. God became a living being in the very center of my awareness about what life was all about. What does that mean? I'll break that open more in a minute. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Curran. And I'm trying to get at something here to describe a a phenomenon, something that I see showing up. And it's something that I I ponder about. It's something that I puzzle, I kind of reflect on. It's something that Carrie and I talk about. And uh, what what I'm going to describe now is, let's say, uh, consciousness that is rooted in a relationship with the God of Jesus Christ. I described 
the consciousness that I had of the world around me before this great awakening, this interruptive, interventional inbreaking of Jesus Christ into my life while I was praying in front of the Blessed Sacrament as an 18 and a half year old. Prior to that, I was at the center of my own consciousness. In other words, my way of looking at the world was based on me being at the center. And so I, again, believed in God, but that was an idea. Something of a person, but more a concept that I would honor through how I lived and followed the rules, practiced the religious practices. And there were definite like breadcrumbs of a sense of communication, breadcrumbs or sentiments of uh, I talk to God and um, I, I know God is there, but a lot of other a lot of other parts of this remain somewhat vague. Okay, now let's talk about the other side. Let's jump ahead and let's imagine the light now, the light of faith comes on and the, the dimmer switch is turned, is turned and it's getting brighter and brighter. What does that now look like? Well, it looks like this. I wake up in the morning and I have this awareness. God, you're here. God, I, I, I'm astonished that you have created me and that from all eternity, you have existed. You are the mystery of this infinite God who's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you've created this immense world. And you uphold it in existence out of love. For some unfathomable reason, you love us whom you have created. And, and the fact that I'm here today in this place, in this moment, is not an accident. But you've planted me here. You've designed me to be alive right here and right now. And that among all the things, the busyness, all the, the activities that I'm involved in, every single thing, including every relationship, my relationship uh, with my parents, my siblings, my wife, my kids, where I'm living, all of these things are all secondary to you. You are God. And today, above all things, I seek, I strive, and I am committed to honoring you in a way that you deserve. And I am here to ask and seek and knock to please let me be received into your holy presence so that I can worship you, I can praise you, I can fall on my face before you and cry out for mercy because I fall short every single day. And I fall on my face before you this morning to say, please, in your mercy, your tender care, and with your almighty power, guide me today to honor you in a more fitting manner than I did yesterday. Please, there are so many things that I'm involved in today. So many of these things can lead to thoughts that might crowd you out, that might displace you as the center of my concern. There are so many relationships around me that might distract me from 
loving you even as I love them. And that there are so many things that I'm involved in that are so caught up in the here and now, like I got to work. I've got to pay bills. I've got to deal with this situation with this kid and that other situation with that other one. Lord God, my schedule is is pulling me in many directions, but I don't want to be pulled from you. So please be with me. Permeate my consciousness in every way so that as I'm having any conversation in every conversation with my kids, with my wife, with with, with people I'm emailing, please help me never to lose sight of you. You are my all. You are my everything. You are my reason for being. That, that's, that's what I'm talking about. When I talk about having an awareness of God as God in our lives. That God is either our central concern, our burning passion, our uh, uh, the one for whom we long, or we have not yet met God. You cannot have met the living God. You cannot have an encounter with the living God without having a complete disruption of who is at the center of our lives, of my life, of one's life. When God breaks in, when his kingdom breaks in, we get knocked off the throne. If we don't get off the throne, he knocks us off the throne in the core of our hearts. And this is the thing that I find, I don't know if it's, I don't want to say the most surprising, but I find it unsettling that it it seems as if that experience, it seems as if that like reality that God is God is sort of like a foreign concept. But in contrast to the reality of an encounter with the living God that is so astonishing that everything changes and what we become concerned about, what becomes our priority, what becomes our burning passion, uh, the desire we have for our today is God, loving God, serving God, communing with the Lord, and, and wonder of all wonders, receiving blessings from that God and being invited into a, an intimate communing and communication with God. That is when God becomes God in our lives. And, okay, I, I said to you that it was like a dimmer switch, right? And so the light for me came on 
when I was 18 and a half in that encounter. And one of the things that that encounter did in, in the Blessed Sacrament of encountering the risen, glorified Lord Jesus Christ in his Eucharistic presence, that that disruptive intervention, that revelation of God, of Jesus breaking into my awareness, into the core of my being, the light came on, but it also cast a light backwards. It cast a light backwards, and all of a sudden, there was a way in which I began to remember, recall, that what happened in such a stunning way in that encounter with Jesus as an 18-and-a-half-year-old wasn't isolated from all of the years previous, that there were all of these, I called them breadcrumbs, but all of these other instances, smaller instances, uh, less I was maybe less impactful instances, where... God was also showing up. God was letting me know, no, Tom, I've been with you. I've been present to you. I have been here in your life. I've been at work, but I have not been in the center of your awareness. I haven't been in the, at the focal point in, in the core of your consciousness regarding how you look upon the world, how you look upon your day, how you look upon your relationships. And I got to tell you, when that happens, when that happens, when that happened to me as an 18 and a half year old, and then the, the, the dimmer switch started to turn and become brighter as I began to live from that encounter. So there was a growing awareness, an increasing consciousness of God of the reality of God around me in my life, it was, it was awkward. It was foreign. It was even a, somewhat troubling. You know, I say troubling because what I realized increasingly, and, and, and frankly, it, it's something that I don't think I've ever stopped realizing Okay, so in other words, the realization is continues to grow, and then it can subside a bit, and then it comes back, and then it can go deeper, and then it can recede. The realization is you can't now revert to a consciousness, a way of seeing life, as if you didn't know God existed. You can't go back and make pretend you didn't have an awareness of divinity, of the divine presence of God that changes everything. <laughs> the whole outlook on life is no longer, I get to kind of live the life that I want to live. And oh yeah, I believe in God. Oh yeah, I believe in God as a, as a distant creator, as a concept that makes everything make sense and provides a kind of meaning for things and is an explanation for things. But I still get to kind of remain in the center position in regards to what my life is all about. No, that goes away. It doesn't go away immediately, but it all of a sudden now the, the pressure <laughs> that that faces is, no, you've encountered God. And so that way of looking at life and living life, not an option. It's not an option. And it, it's a threat, if you will. It's a threat to self-centered living. It's a threat to living in a way that puts one's own self at the center of life. And so... How, like, for me, the unsettling thing was, as I, as I thought about this, is that, how come I don't hear more people talking about this? 
come I don't hear more sermons, teachings, homilies uh, that unfold this reality because it's so basic. When I say basic, I mean at the foundation. It's fundamental. It's like uh, this is something that we we when 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 Pope Benedict says like, look, if all you're doing in your Catholic life of faith is believing what the Church teaches and striving to live according to the moral rules and um, and and obeying the the ritual requirements, you're missing the uh, the essence, the essential center of faith, which is the encounter with the living God. And if you just think that God is this concept in your life, you're missing the actual meaning of it all. And and so, well, this again. So this is this is John Paul II, Saint John Paul II. This is Pope Benedict. But you know, this is this is all the great saints. This is all the great saints. This is not. I'm not making this stuff up. Okay. So, um, let me dig further into this by describing how certain saints have unfolded unfolded in, in holy men and women through the ages have unfolded this teaching of what happens to a soul who encounters God and the resulting the result of the encounter is that I have encountered God as God I have encountered God the living God in my life well if you take a look at the tradition what you'll see is three attributes of God bubbling up to the surface. Three of these attributes of God make their way to the forefront. And that when, and, and namely, what are the three? That when you encounter God as God, you encounter God as glorious, almighty, and ineffable. Well, there's a big word. God is glorious. God is almighty. And God is ineffable. Ineffable means that God is beyond God as this infinite, mysterious God is beyond our capacity to express in speech. So just saying... Oh, let me give you an example. Let me give you some examples of what happens to a soul that has lived in this encounter, lived from and in this encounter with God. And that the very word God becomes a place of breaking open and a place of encounter to just speak the word God then leads to that very encounter with that infinite, ineffable, almighty, glorious being. So I'm going to tell you a story about a desert father. I'll tell you a story about Father Reginald Garagru Lagrange, a Thomist who was very famous in the middle part of the last century and one of the most impactful teachers on St. John Paul II. And a story from St. John of the Cross, on whom St. John Paul II wrote one of his dissertations, his theological dissertation about faith as a dark light. Ooh, this is sounding good. Back in a minute with Sound Insight. 
Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Kearns. Great to be with you today. Uh, I'm sharing with you about this fundamental reality of what happens or when our lives of faith really change, when our whole way of living in the world changes, it is when we come to have this awareness that God is God. God is God. So I mentioned three stories, and these stories will bring out the attributes of God that I mentioned, that God is glorious, God is almighty, and God is ineffable. Let me start with the um, the Father Garagru Lagrange story. So a Dominican priest, he wrote, it's probably his most famous, it was a couple volume work on the three ages of the interior life. Um, it's a you know great manual of spiritual and mystical and ascetical theology. And so, uh, but he, he taught and lectured at the Angelicum in Rome for, I don't, I, I want to say decades, but I don't, to be honest with you, I don't know exactly how long. In any case, there's a famous story. Uh, I say famous, but I was trying to get the exact quote and the date and all of that, but I couldn't find it on the internet. I gave up. But the story is that he was scheduled to give a lecture, showed up to give the lecture, was, uh, you know, the time was here, everyone gets in their seats, and Father Garagou Lagrange gets up, takes out his notes, and starts his lecture. And he says, God. And then he stops. And he says, nothing else. He stands there. And then he goes and sits back down. His lecture, one word, God. And, uh, you know, I would say that there could be a, a way in which, you know, some could speculate and say, he did that on purpose. It was a sort of a clever twist. And if you want to like get people to stop for a moment and reflect on what it is they're saying when they say the word God. Like that idea, that concept is an attempt to convey, to point to, to bring out into the open a reality. But the reality that is pointed at, that is conveyed when you say the word God. It's like unlike any other concept. The idea of God is unlike any other concept because the idea of God is the concept that under it is underneath any other concept that we have, any other concept of reason and truth and goodness and beauty in the world around us and being itself, the word God conveys or points to the reality that is the source of all of that and the uh, one who has no source, the sourceless source of all concepts, of all ideas, of all of those who have ideas is God. And so speaking that word God is to 
bespeak. It is to point to, it is to attempt to bring out into the open that which is infinite, that which is mystery, not just a mystery, but the mystery, the one that is infinitely beyond our capacity to comprehend. God is ineffable. And when you speak the word God, I, I say this, that my, my speculation is that Father Garaglou Lagrange wasn't being clever, but rather when he got up to speak, the first word of his lecture was God. And as he spoke the word God, it evoked in his awareness the reality the divinity, the holiness, the majesty, the reality of God. And he was stunned into silence. He was manifesting in his own being this ineffability, the, the incapacity of human beings to say anything that is adequate to describe or express the reality of God. And so, awareness that Father Gerald Gould-Ragrange had that profound, profound awareness of God. And it stunned him into silence. And so, have we had that kind of encounter? You know, you talk about, again, the light goes on and then that dimmer switch gets turned up. Well, his dimmer switch was turned up really, really, really brightly. That is God. So that is one of the attributes that if we could appreciate, have an appreciation for, a capacity to touch, to connect with, to have the the reality of God as ineffable come into contact with our lives, what would that do? What would that do for how we live? So I encourage you to pray for that. I want to to pray for an encounter with the ineffable God so that when we speak that word God, we would do so out of those moments of communing, those moments of encounter, those moments of attending in awe and wonder and astonishment that God is and that this God has created me to be a living witness to his reality and beyond all wonders invites me into a transformative, elevating union with him. God. That's the first story. That's just about the ineffability of God. Now, let's continue on. And again, this is something that I I want this for my kids. 
Because if you encounter the ineffable God, the one who is infinite and mysterious, and that God lives in your consciousness, yeah, you know what? The idea of reverting back to a self-centered way of living where I'm kind of like living for myself and I look to God to get some help to fulfill my plans and kind of live very earthly, very like here and now sort of realities. No, you know what? (laughs) That kind of diminishes and God becomes all in all. God becomes my everything. It's that encounter with that God that also has other aspects One of these aspects is that God is not only ineffable, God is also glorious. Now, you say the word glory, and glory is a way of describing divine beauty. Divine beauty. And and divine beauty is unlike human beauty, right? So human, it's related to it. There's an analogy there, right? When you see something that is startlingly beautiful, when you see someone or you see something in this world that is incredibly beautiful, what's another word you'd use? Attractive. You are drawn to it. You can't take your eyes off of it, off of him, off of her. Something that is beautiful. Well, what about divine beauty? Well, when we look at and hear about those great souls who have been captivated, there's the word, captivated by divine beauty, what they're talking about is glory, God's glory. And divine beauty is unlike other, just human beauty, because it's more than just attractive, it is majestic. There's a a majesty to divine beauty. There is something utterly captivating to holiness, to the quality of divinity. And beautiful story, St. John of the Cross, again, a great saint of the spiritual life and of that spiritual journey that Father Garigou Lagrange wrote about in the Three Ages of the Interior Life. St. John of the Cross, as he continued ever deeper, as he was drawn ever more deeply into his own spiritual life, his spiritual journey of contemplation into transforming union, evermore he would experience these ecstatic experiences, these encounters with the Lord that were rapturous. Well, what does that actually mean and how does that apply? I'll tell you on the other side of the break in a minute on Sound Insight. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. Today on the program, I'm sharing with you insights that are all around this first of three truths. I mentioned three truths at the beginning of the program, but as things go on Sound Insight, I tend to take a little longer than I anticipate. So the other two truths that I will talk about, I'm going to just say it out loud, I'll talk about them tomorrow on the program, are you can't serve God and mammon, and seek first the kingdom of God and and what follows there. I'll talk about those truths tomorrow on the program. Today I'm going to continue to reflect on this idea that God, God 
intends in our lives to operate more than as simply a concept that we accept exists that helps guide our behavior and shape some of our beliefs. No, that the consciousness of God, the awareness of God, the reality of God's presence can permeate our consciousness and become the central burning concern, the burning passion of our entire lives. And we're going to, the reason why I had these three truths, and we'll talk more about this tomorrow, is that it becomes really difficult to live that out when you have day-to-day concerns and worries. Like, I'm talking about something that, yeah, that fits for a Dominican friar or a Carmelite friar living a cloistered uh, a Carmelite vocation where he, as a consecrated religious avowed life, they're giving us a glimpse of heaven on earth by how it is they are just totally all in in their own pursuit of the Lord. So we'll get to that tomorrow. I want to tell the story of St. John of the Cross as he went through the purgative and illuminative to the unitive stage, this transforming living flame of love that he became, that in his prayer, this consciousness of God, this awareness of God's presence, this awareness of God's glory, the beauty of God's divine majesty became overwhelming to St. John of the Cross not only in his prayer, but from his prayer. And so towards the end of his life, there was a phenomenon (laughs) that as he would be walking down the hall of his monastery or the friary, wherever he was, he could become quickly caught up in the obvious reality of God around him. The reality of God's beauty was so palpable that he would begin to get enraptured. He would begin to experience this ecstasy out of ecstasis, out of his being. He'd be carried out of himself so that what he became principally conscious of wasn't the hallway and the doorway and the monastery, but God. And as he became enraptured and would become caught up in God, he would begin to lose that consciousness of the concrete physical reality of the world around him. So he would hit the wall with his hand, (laughs) with his fist. Boom, hit the wall. And by hitting the wall, he would break himself out of the enrapturing divine beauty, the enrapturing reality of God who is infinitely beautiful, not only infinitely mysterious, but infinitely beautiful, so attractive to us. His longing, his love, his love of the Lord, his union, so purified, so profound, became his everything, who is so complete. And okay, now walk a couple more steps, caught back up in God again, losing that consciousness of the world around him, conscious and caught up in the God. Boom, hit the wall again. I got to make it to my meeting. (laughs) Boom, back down, grounded again in reality, walk a bit some more. Boom, hit the wall again. So, So the story goes. Now, that is incredible. Isn't that incredible? Because it is what? 
It's what a, where a human soul can be taken by God in a transforming union such that we become utterly aware of not only the presence of God, but God's divine beauty. And we are drawn out of ourselves into a union of love with that God. So that's what I want. That's what I want for our lives. Like, if you just, you hear what I'm saying here, and it's like, all of a sudden, it's like, if you, if you get this, if we get this right, this intervention of God, where he breaks into our lives, breaks open our lives so that we become aware that God is God, and God becomes the central reality in our awareness, then game over, world. Game over, concerns of the world. God is God, and you, world, and your worldly concerns are not God. Okay, third story. This is the third attribute. God is not only when God becomes God, as God becomes God in our lives and moves from a concept to awareness, from concept to consciousness in the center of our being, we not only realize the ineffability of God, he's beyond our ability to express. He is not only glorious, his divine majesty is utterly attractive to us, he is also almighty. And this almighty God becomes manifest in the world he has created. In the world he has created. And this is what is so beautifully showing up in Psalm 95. Those of you that are sticking around the whole program, remember, I started with Psalm 95, the invitatory psalm for the Liturgy of the Hours. And I mentioned to you in the last week, as I've also been reading Who is Man, it's been getting me to reflect more deeply on this reality of God being God. And listen to the Almighty God. The Lord is God, the mighty God, the great king over all the gods. He holds in his hands the depths of the earth and the highest mountains as well. He made the sea, it belongs to him, the dry land too, for it was formed by his hands. My third story is related to one of the desert fathers who had an encounter with the God who created the universe. He had an encounter with the almighty creator of the universe. The story goes that the Desert Fathers would be coming together occasionally for a time of fellowship of the Eucharist, uh, and then they would go back out and live solitary lives, and they would seek the Lord to commune with him in the desert, stripped down before all things, and there they are before the God of all creation. And one time when they gathered back together, this one monk, uh, this one desert father said, I had an encounter with God. I had this encounter with God. And I, I uh, took my journal with me. And I wanted to capture what it was that I experienced as I encountered the living God, the almighty creator of this universe. And and they said, well, what did you write? And he said, I, I, I can't remember. The, the encounter was so overwhelming. I can't remember what I wrote, but I'm going to look at it now with you, my brothers. 
and, and he flipped to the page and there were three words on the page. And the three words that these desert fathers gathered together to look at what was this desert father's uh, statement about this encounter with God, this creator of this immense universe. The three words were, God is big. <laughs> God is big. And uh, I love that. I love that. Because the God that is a concept that orbits around the edge of our lives with us being safely mired in the middle of our own lives as our own central concern is taking care of ourselves and the things of this world. What does it take to disrupt that? Well, it's an encounter with the God who is big. Big enough that he holds in his hands the depths of the earth and the highest mountains as well. He made the sea. It belongs to him, the dry land too, for it was formed by his hands. And, and you can see the psalmist there trying to get at the bigness of God. Look at the bigness of the world around you, the heights and the depths that are invisible to you that you'll never be able to explore. You'll never be able to get to the end of. You'll never be able to see beyond. This God is big. Now, what about us today with all of our own ability to see into the universe, to the edges of the universe, to be able to realize the immensity, the, what, uh, billions of light years across that uh, it it would take to cross the universe and that he holds in his hands all of creation. God is big. My prayer for you today, my brothers, and the prayer that I pray for my kids is that my kids would have an encounter with God and that God would become the center of their awareness and that they would encounter this God who is ineffable, who is glorious, and who is almighty. And they would live their lives from that. I'll pick up on this theme tomorrow on Sound Insight.